starting a new series this morning, and we're just going to talk about the kingdom, capital K, the kingdom of God. And if we've ever needed, as we live in this kingdom with a lowercase k, and all the dimensions of being fruitful in this little kingdom, we need to understand the dimensions, the responsibility, the authority, the privilege of being a member of the kingdom of God. And so it, it is, this is gonna go for weeks. I don't know exactly how long. And everybody listen, more than me like dropping a little nugget or a sermon that would inspire or fire you up and make me feel good and you feel good, today is it's, it's like discipleship. There's some stuff, foundational principles that I really want you to get. These are things that if you stay around here long enough, they'll be in your DNA. These are principles that, that guide all faithful, effective followers of Jesus. And coming to understand the kingdom, capital K, and its priority um, is so critical. And so I want, I want to help you get some knowledge. Hosea chapter four, verse six says, my people die for lack of knowledge. And you know, I teach the inverse is true. If the word is true that my, God's people die for a lack of knowledge, then we know that with knowledge, they will live, not just the bios life, but the Zoe life. Bios, we get the word biography. Zoe is the word, in fact, in the New Testament, the word Zoe is used 125 more times than the word bios, when Jesus and the writers of the epistles were talking about life. And how many of you know, you don't wanna just leave a biography, you wanna leave a mark, you wanna have zest, the abundant life, the Zoe life. And so that's what we're talking about. So may our people, his people at Restoration live because they have knowledge. Matthew 6, verse 33, the Sermon on the Mount, which is paramount to Jesus' ministry as he starts his ministry. He's baptized in Matthew 3. Um, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and then comes out. He's tempted by the enemy after fasting 40 days, which often you come out of your fast and you feel worse than when you went in and you don't see the fruit yet, but you have to walk by faith knowing that, that you are now on the enemy's radar and that God is getting ready to do something great. So Satan comes and he came and tempted Jesus. Jesus overcame. And then we'll, we'll look at these verses. I think it's verse 17 in chapter four, Jesus. It says, from there, after the, dealing with the temptation in the wilderness where Satan tempted him to take a shortcut, to get the things of God on Satan's terms, which is what a lot of us do. And Jesus resisted that. And then verse 17 says, from there he went on and preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then in Matthew 5, he opens up, this is the first sermon. This is his coming out party in, verse, in chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Starts with the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. And then we see here in Matthew 6, he's talking about how to live. Don't let worry or fear or don't let the the, the the desire to have more things. Don't let that consume you. And he says, do this in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, everything that you need, everything will be added. It will be brought to you. If you seek God first and his righteousness, you won't have to strive or worry. It will be brought to you. And there's, there is so much in that relationship that Jesus, in that one little verse. And you may remember, um, what, 14 verses later in verse 19, he says, don't store up your treasures in, on earth. Store them up in heaven. In other words, don't live just with the little K kingdom as priority. Live with the big K. Store up, not on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. In verse 25, he says, you know, a man can't have two masters. You can't serve this kingdom and that kingdom. You've got to put one of them first, and everybody does. And, and Jesus is introducing the fact that the kingdom of God is now at hand. And the way that you enjoy the benefits and the blessing of, 
of that kingdom is you put that kingdom first. You don't get consumed with other masters and other things. Now, what is the kingdom of God? It's very misunderstood and poorly taught, if taught at all. The kingdom of God is God's rule, his reign, his government. Everybody listen. It's what God wants for mankind on planet earth, which is what Adam and Eve had in the garden. They had the kingdom of God in paradise. And that's what God wants, his rule, his reign, his government. And when we choose to live in that kingdom and to make it first, we're simply saying that we welcome God's rule. We don't want to rule our own lives. We, we, we welcome his lordship, understanding that submitting to his way is the best way. And that's the way of the blessed life. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, as I just mentioned, the New King James says, after Jesus, and just you've got to understand things that happened before and what happens after. But I just said this earlier. Matthew 3, John says, there's John the Baptist who came in the spirit of Elijah and was the forerunner setting the stage for Jesus. As the prophet said he would, that John would come. And when you see John who comes in the spirit of Elijah, um, and there's a lot of story about how he was born. He was actually related to Jesus. And his mommy and daddy were barren until their old age. And miraculously, Zachariah and Elizabeth conceived. And John comes and he says, the kingdom of God is near in Matthew chapter 3. And then Jesus comes to be baptized by John. And he's baptized. And um, he comes up out of the water. And you know, the heavens are torn and the word there is schizoid, schizophrenic. There's, it's, it's related to there's a tearing in the heavens. So what a, a schizophrenic issue is when there are two things that are in conflict. There's two things trying to take over. And Mark, the Bible says that the heavens were torn because of the violence of what was, trying, what was in conflict. And so in the heavens tearing, what was in the heavens was actually able to be released. And it was then that Jesus, everybody heard the voice. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then they also saw the Holy Spirit descend on him. And Jesus began his ministry. The Bible says right after that, he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Don't you hate it? When the Holy Spirit leads me, I want him to lead me to like Orlando to get on a Disney cruise or something, you know, go to Rosemary Beach or something. But Holy Spirit, before Jesus was useful, and there was a breaking that happened, and it often happens. It always happens before God uses us significantly. And um, he was led into the wilderness. Satan tempted him. And he begins his ministry. And here's the first Thing he says, verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about preaching. Preaching is not offering an opinion, cute ideas, um, popular psychology. To preach is to herald. It's a, it's a royal term. You, the one who preaches is commissioned by whoever is in charge to bring a message and they should do that with passion and confidence and boldness. And Jesus does that. And he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice two things. He's not saying ask for forgiveness because the kingdom is here. First, let me say this. Jesus is saying, you need to do this because the kingdom is now as it's at hand. As I can see my hand, it's here. The kingdom is now. It wasn't before. It is now because the king is here to bring it. And he says, so you need to repent. And to repent is not necessarily ask for forgiveness. It, it means that, but it's a lot more than that. Jesus is saying, you need to readjust. If you're going this way and the kingdom is that way, you can't keep going this way, looking over there and learning all about that. You've got to, and somebody hear me, it's this simple. This isn't going to be a month or a year of simplicity. You, you need to stop 
trying to blame God or figure out why things aren't working out in your life. If you haven't repented and pursued, began to pursue the kingdom. So Jesus, the first thing he says, repent, turn around. You've got to look at things and do things, metanoia, differently. You've got to have a different mindset, a different approach, because the kingdom is at hand. And, and the kingdom was very important to Jesus because in Matthew, in chapter six, the same Sermon on the Mount, when the disciples had that look like, teach us how to pray like you pray. And he said, okay, and what did he say? You've heard me talk about this, and I just pray, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear so much, because what you're saying, Lord, is so profound and simple. And you're saying so much more than I'm gonna be able to say in 30 or 40 minutes, but hear this. Jesus says, okay, you wanna learn how to pray, here's how you do it. It, it. You start like this, our Father. Wait a minute, our, Jesus, your Father is our Father? Yeah, that's how you start. You come on relationship. Our Father who is in heaven. I hate when the, and the translator says, our Father which. He's not a thing, he's a person. Our Father who is in heaven. And there's a, a distinguishing characteristic that we've, we've got to understand. Jesus is saying, I know where you are. I came from there. I'm now here. And I'm bringing them into relationship with you. So our Father, who is in here, he's in heaven. Hallowed be your name, worship. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now here, those of you who've been around here a while and you've heard me pray, we pray like this. And I'll say this, for one, when Jesus said, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done, it is not a request or a statement it is poorly translated when you say, may your kingdom. In the original language, it is, it is a command. It is a violent, it's not here, but kingdom of God come in the earth as it is in heaven. And I'll say this, the blueprint that you have, you designed how all of this works. And Adam and Eve were the only ones to be able to enjoy it. So your blueprint, your original, what was in your heart for life on this planet, may that be released. May that come and your kingdom invade the kingdoms of this world. And may your will be done. Will, and, it's, and I pray it over my children, their bedrooms, their cars. Kingdom of God, come in the name of Jesus. Will of God be done. And I'm praying exactly the way Jesus taught me to pray. And I want you to learn that too. And the key is, he starts relationship, our father. We're, hear this, relationship, our father. Worship, hallowed be your name. And then rulership, kingdom of God, come. We'll come back to that. So the kingdom is really important. It's how Jesus starts his ministry, what he starts talking about. It's poorly understood but listen, there are, I promise you, I can feel it in this room and see it on your faces and hear it in the quietness of this anointing. You coming to understand the kingdom is going to put pieces of the puzzle in the place that have never been in place for you in your life. It's critical that we understand the kingdom. Brings wisdom on how life works. Now, you know I'm big on seeing principles I don't just like open the Bible and point to a verse and read it. I know God can speak because it's all alive, but when you, the Bible never says read the Bible. The Bible says study the scriptures to, to show yourself approved, and there's a big difference. And we've been raised in the last 30, 40 years in America. We're entertained. We don't even read it. We don't know. We can't find the gospel of Luke because we're, we've not read it, let alone study it. So... With that said, you know I, there's principles, even recently. Um, like I've, I teach a lot about the principle of family. The Bible opens with a wedding, closes with a wedding, and all 66 books are about mommies and daddies, husbands and wives. It's about relationship within the family. It's the most basic institution in, in, on, on planet Earth. And we talk about and, the, and you when you see it, you see it all through Scripture. 
Um, we've talked recently about first things first and that principle. And when you see it, you see it in every book of the Bible. And here, when we talk about the kingdom, you guys are going to be amazed. As you, when, you, when you begin to understand the kingdom, you're going to be amazed at how you see it everywhere and how it imp the implications of your rights and role and destiny and God's purpose over your life when you see it. It's kind of like, um, have you ever like bought a car? It's like girls that like, you, the, the nightmare is to show up at prom and three other of your close friends have the same dress. You ever thought, I'm, I love a Toyota Camry and I'm gonna get one. And then you notice 92% of the people in North America drive a Toyota Camry. You ever notice that? Um, like I love old Land Cruisers and I have one and I see them everywhere. You don't even know what an old Land Cruiser is, but I do because I have one. When you, be, when you see oh, Nicodemus, who was a, when you see the kingdom, you'll, you're going to start seeing it everywhere. When Nicodemus, who was, should have known better, he taught the Hebrews. He was a scholar, and he came to Jesus in John 3, came to him at night. The Nicodemus, and that's where we get the series, Nick at Night. He came and he said to Jesus, and you've heard me teach on that. Everybody thinks he went at night because he was um, afraid to go during the day. I don't necessarily think, I think Nicodemus had hurt. He wanted Jesus alone. He had, and when you get Jesus alone, you'll want him alone too, one-on-one. -on -one. And, and Jesus said, if you're not born again, you can't even see the kingdom. And then Jesus takes it. In case you don't understand, he goes, in fact, you can't enter the kingdom. You can't see it unless you're born again. And there's a lot of ramifications. I'm not going to talk about that. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, what I'm saying is foolishness to you. But if you know the Lord and you see the kingdom, and then he said, unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom. And we want to not just see it, we want to see it and want to enter it and, and be in it. And that's what the whole, and that's where Jesus began to say, being in the spirit is like the wind. You don't know where it came from or where, where it's going. You, you can only see the effect of it. I want to stop at like eight places, and I'm not going to, because we're going to take communion at the end of this service, sometime around 1.15. Um, <laughs> are y'all tracking with me so far, everybody? So Jesus says, you need to be born again to even recognize it. And you need to be open to, listen, to life in the Holy Spirit to be able to enter it. And Jesus said to him, you should know these things. You teach Israel. Oh, I would say, we don't know these things because our teachers haven't been teaching these things. And either they don't know or they just don't find the subject to be entertaining or per important enough when I think it's foundational. So in a kingdom, let's break down the word. You have king, dumb. You have a king who is in charge, who rules and governs. And that king has a dumb or a dominion. There's a sphere, a, a region. There's a, there's a place where he gets to be in charge and be the king. He's the one who has the final say on all matters. He is sovereign. And the last part of that, it's not a compound word, but the word sovereign it's the last, what, five or six letters are this word, to reign. Everybody say reign. It's the one who has the final say, the king who has a dominion, a kingdom. That's what it is. Now, the original understanding, as I mentioned earlier, of the kingdom starts in Genesis 1. I just, you're going to want to take some pictures of what I'm about to bring up because I'm going to have to move too fast for you to write it down. But everybody hear me. The understanding of the kingdom starts in Genesis 1 where it says, in the beginning, God 
created the heavens and the earth. That's where the kingdom starts. Here we see the sovereign of all the universe whose, listen, whose realm, whose reign, and whose regency are described at, in the first verse of the Bible. Now, let's talk about those three things. His realm or scope of rule is transcendent. That is, not only does it include the entire physical universe, it exceeds it. He existed before all creation. He expands beyond it. And by virtue of having begotten it or created, it came out of his mouth. He encompasses all that it is. It was in his heart, if you will, when he spoke it. And so that's his realm. It's his realm. My, my, my spiritual brain is, is going crazy right now to think how awesome our God is and he's our father. The one who spoke all of this is our father. Secondly, his reign or the power by which he rules is exercised by his will. This is so key. It's, he reigns and his power is manifested or exercised by his will, his word, and his works. By his own will, he creatively decides and designs. And by his own word, he speaks creation into being. And by his own works, his spirit displays his unlimited power in your life and in our world and throughout the universe. Your life is to be a picture of God's beauty, of his kingdom, no matter what you've been through. And then lastly, number three, his regency or authority to rule is in his preexistence. He was before all things or his holiness or perfection. How many of you know God is not trying to be God? He is God. He's like perfectly, completely, 100% God. There's no one like him. Everybody get that? No one like him. Now, that's, that's critical. Now, let's take that and consider our role, man's role, as the sovereign creator, God, chooses to delegate to man dominion on the earth. All right, so everybody look here. God created, it was his kingdom. He was the king who had dominion, not only of the earth, but Whatever there else there is out there in all the Milky Way galaxy universe. And on the earth, that's who he is. And then he delegated responsibility or authority to you and to me. You see it in Genesis 1 again. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Adam and Eve, Adam at this point, be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. And then he lists things over the fish and every living thing on the planet. He says, have dominion. It's your realm to now rule and to reign. This is why he created us in his image, in his likeness. Because he was going to share and delegate and make us co-regents in the earth so that we might subdue it. But in Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve, you know, they forfeited their dominion when they gave into the temptation. And so God had given them the key and the office, the authority, the power to be in charge and to fulfill his kingdom blueprint in the earth, Adam and Eve. And then they gave it to Satan. And now Satan, Track with me, please. Satan, from that time until the cross, was in charge. It was his domain. This is why Romans 5 says, everything that Adam lost, which was everything, Jesus came and got it back so that we, in verse 17 it says, so that we can reign in life. Everybody say reign in life. 
Now, before Romans 5, 17, look, here's the picture of that conflict that were left after Adam. In John 10, again, a very familiar, familiar portion, passage of Scripture. Jesus says, the thief, Satan, comes only to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. And he says, and you know this, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Zoe life, not bios life, not existence or survival, but thrival. And that, that's why Jesus came. And Jesus came to get that dominion back. Now, Adam and Eve are in charge. They've been given the key. They give it to Satan. And now they're subject to spiritual darkness. Jesus comes, and this is why as soon as Jesus was born, Satan was trying to take him out through Herod and other means. And Jesus comes and says, I've come to rescue the kingdom. And that's why I went to the cross and he got the keys back from Satan, death, hell, and the grave, and he's left us with the keys of the kingdom. And the keys of the kingdom, he says right after that, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Brothers and sisters, I cannot move too fast. I have to say this. I'm skipping over powerful stuff, that I, but I can't skip over this. Jesus says, who do you say I am? The disciples, you're John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. Good company. You're a good teacher. That's what most of the world says. Jesus was the greatest man who ever lived. And he says, that's what they say, but what do you say? And he must have caught Simon Peter's eyes, and you've heard me talk about this many times. And he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, I think you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus says, you didn't figure that out on your own. Your Sunday school teacher didn't help you come to that conclusion. Your mommy berating you, your dad talking to you about you need to live for God. That's not what my father has revealed that to you. And there's things right now that Pastor Chuck, that God's wanting to reveal to you right now that I can't put into words. But I'm praying in, the name, in this crazy hour on this planet that, that things will start going off and you'll have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And, and Jesus said, now that you know who I am, it's, it's that kind of faith that I'm gonna build my church, ecclesia, called out ones. The legislative authority, ecclesia is the word for church. And I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell won't keep it from advancing. And then he says this, I give you the keys to the kingdom. And the first thing he mentions is, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What am I talking about? What am I getting? I'm getting at the power of prayer. I'm, I'm getting at the connection that we have when we pray. It's the very, Matthew 18 is the, or 16 is the pinnacle of, of Jesus' ministry. And it's now he gives the keys. And you know what? You and I have the keys to the kingdom. Prayer, fasting, giving, serving. And our world is in, our culture is in trouble. Not because the Republicans and Democrats can't figure it out. Our world is in trouble, not because California's influence has spread across the U.S. Our world is in trouble because the church has not taken her place in the kingdom. And I believe there is a deep, profound awakening in this one and many others that the church is going to assume her role again and that we will see the glory of God come in our nation. And I know it's hanging in the balance right now. All right. But this idea of you and us reigning in life, I know all this sounds grandiose and Pastor Chuck, I'm just trying to deal with a selfish husband. I got children that won't come in on time. I know this is going to be a good year because you know what? I pulled in at like 9.50 this morning. Right behind me was my 17-year-old son, 10 minutes early to church. Revival's coming. Where is Luke? Are you? I pray he stayed. He didn't just get here early. Luke Ramsey, give him a hand. Revival's coming. This boy got to church early. I, I, I looked at JP, I said, is that Luke's Jeep? Good Lord Jesus. <laughs> I'm proud of you, good job. Oh, wow. Lord, help us. 
reign in life. That's what we're looking to do. What is it to reign in life? It's to be able to, the fruit on your branches, be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. To reign in life is, listen, to do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, the way you're supposed to do it. That is what Jesus came to restore the kingdom back. And there's a war going on. There's an enemy that comes, doesn't want you to reign in life, wants to steal your hope, wants to kill your dream. That's what he comes to do. But thank God Jesus came that we might reign in life over everything. Now, man's power then to fulfill his role in the earth comes from God's created plan and purpose because we're made in his image, in his likeness. God built us similar to him because we were gonna do what he wanted us to do and we would have to be like him to be able to pull it off. Now, man's ability to sustain God's plan for him is sustained by man's obedience to God. In other words, you will reign in life based upon your relationship to the king. How well you fare in the kingdom is determined by your relationship to the king. Now here's a powerful principle. Runs through almost every sermon I preach. Rulership, you being in dominion, you have, being able to reign. Rulership is sustained in worship. Worship is sustained by relationship with the king. That's why talking about seeing kingdom and king and royal themes all through scripture. Remember, it was the psalmist that said, you are enthroned amidst the praises of your people. Wherever he's enthroned, his reign is executed in that dimension. And that's why we worship him. It's not because we like music. Something happens in this room, in this geographical location. The king, this sovereign one, who does reign is invited to come in here and reign and be sovereign. And his blessing and his, what's his kingdom again? It's his rule. When we worship him, Satan's effort to steal, kill, and destroy is thwarted because we've invited the kingdom in. We're loving on the king who enthrones himself. He sits high and lifted up and he rules and reigns. And your, your ability to have dominion, to reign in life is sustained by worship. And we don't worship perfunctorily. You know, we don't worship out of religious obligation or the fact that we like passion music. We worship because we are in relationship. And the more we are in intimate relationship, the more we want to worship, and the more we're qualified in greater realms of dimension to, to have a rulership. Anybody picking up a little bit of what I'm trying to put down? So all these things start coming together. Now, here's the picture. Oh, we're way ahead of schedule. This is a miracle, thank God. Um, we're going to see this I want to show you a passage, but before we go there, everybody look. So the children of Israel, I, I, I want to speak to the lowest common denominator because I know not everybody in here understands basic historical facts, okay? It's a long story, but God's people became slaves in Egypt. Egypt was never a good place for God's people. Even Mary and Joseph, they had, after Jesus won, they had to go down to Egypt. You never go up to Egypt. And they had been slaves there for four centuries, about 430 years. And they had a slave mentality. And it's one thing to get out of Egypt. It's another thing to get Egypt out of you. And that's where most people, most of y'all are saved. You're just not able to live like it. 
because you're not able to reign in life. And there's the reasons, and we're going to break that down in, in the coming weeks. And so God is speaking to Moses, who led them out, all those Hebrews, Jewish, Israeli, they're different words that that race of people is called throughout the Bible. God brings them out miraculously. And you know the 10 plagues. He uses Moses, who can't even talk without stuttering. They get to the Red Sea. It looks impossible, and it parts, and God miraculously brings them out. Then they get scared because Pharaoh's army's right behind them. Pharaoh's army gets in what God brought them out of, and God brings them in so he can remove them, and he drowns them. And if you and I, you and I think, man, if I'd seen all of that, I would never complain again the rest of my life. Yes, you would, you North American <laughs> selfish consumer who tries to find a right place in the sanctuary because it's either too hot or too cold, you know. And the Bible says that they, they had been out for three months and Moses had had it because they're sitting there going, at least we had food back there. Yeah, we were slaves, all right, but at least we were healthy, not hungry slaves. And now we're out here free, but we don't have anything to eat. And God miraculously just starts dropping food from heaven. And they mumble, grumble, and, and God pulls Moses up because this is what he does to leaders. And he says, Moses, I want you to understand what I'm doing. In Exodus 19, verse 3 through 6, it says, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I, this is beautiful, bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Okay, everybody see right here. Worship. If you'll obey my word, because my word is how I rule and govern and reign. I spoke and the worlds were formed. I am speaking now and your world will be formed. And he says to Moses, tell them if they obey my voice, they will be able to keep my covenant. Then you shall be a special treasure. Ding, ding, ding. Royal phrase. We see kings have special treasures. And God is saying to Moses, you as a people, you old slaves who needed to be delivered from addictions and bad mentalities. And you, were, you don't look like my people. But I brought you out so that, because you are becoming, I'm making you my treasure. Somebody needs to hear me say this morning, what you're going through is God is bringing you out because he treasures you. What he spoke into you as your purpose and destiny. If you could hear what he said and be reminded what he said about you, you would see, wow, what I'm going through is worth it. He's making me his treasure. And he says, then you shall be a special treasure to me in verse five. Above all people, for all the earth is mine. He's saying, I could have chose anybody, but I chose you. I could have used, I could have loved on the Egyptians, but I chose you. God's into underdogs. He's into broken people. He, he chooses them, verse six. And you shall be to me, this is the first time we see it, a kingdom, ding, 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 of priests. Priests, people who worship, build bridges to get lost people connected to God. So we're, we will be a kingdom as we do our worship. That's what God is saying. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Man. And then we get to the last book of the Bible in Revelation, and we see this everywhere now. So this was thousands of years God's going, I'm bringing you out. I'm, you don't look like a kingdom at all, especially of priests, but that's what I'm doing. And then in Revelation chapter one and many other places, this is at the end of the whole Bible. The word of God says, to him who loves us 
and has freed us from our sins, delivered us. See the picture? By his blood. It was his work getting us back out from that dominion of darkness that Adam and Eve sold us into. By his blood and made us a kingdom, comma, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and that we see kingdom, 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 kingdom. Revelation 5, verse 9 and 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people. Again, God, you, you delivered us. You brought us out of Egypt. You brought us across miraculously. You miraculously saved me, Lord. Each one of us can identify with this. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign. Are y'all seeing all this? I'm ding, 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 boom, 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 boom. And you shall reign on the earth. First Peter chapter two, verse nine, the ESV says, but you are a chosen race. And I love this term, a royal priesthood, royal, royalty, kingly, dominion, authority, rulership. You are a royal group of people who know how to worship. And as you know how to worship and you worship, you will be empowered to have that kingly royal authority. And then he says, here's the picture of what he was doing with the Israelites too, that he told Moses, that you may proclaim, oh wait, I, but you are a chosen race, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, this is a grand and great destiny that's on all of us, but it's also a great responsibility. I, I saw, there's a guy that I love um, who posted something, he's internationally known apologist, great pastor in Manhattan. Tim Keller's his name. I don't, he can defend himself. And I love him. I've read most of his books. He posted yesterday morning on Facebook. He said, the Bible is not ultimately about me or you. It's about him. And while I understand where he's coming from, and he's like 20% like smarter than me, give or take 50 or 60 or 70%, I understand where he's coming from. But it's that kind of thought that keeps us with that Egyptian slave mentality. The Bible is not just about God. He's called us into partnership with him. Now don't get arrogant because then you're not worshiping. Don't get conceited or bombastic about you. God needs you. He doesn't need you. He lets you be a co-regent with him. But the Bible is not just about God. It's about God restoring the relationship and bringing us back in so that he can restore planet Earth. And that's our calling and our responsibility. And we are up for it because our God is sovereign. He was before it all. Let me just tell you, his plan has never been weakened. They thought, oh my gosh, we put somebody on the moon is the Bible still true? We split an atom. Wonder what God thinks about. Does he know that? Elon Musk is, has a plan and he does everything he says he's gonna do. He's gonna put a life on Mars like a culture. Don't tell God. Our nation they're trying to steal the election. Satan's trying to get you to go focus on the kingdom, not the kingdom. And when you focus on the kingdom, you'll be posting and arguing and putting bumper stickers and marching and not praying, but marching and antagonizing. Don't tell me to go march in the pro-life rallies if you're not gonna pray. If we pray, then we march, or we march and pray. Oh, I'm stepping on somebody's toes this morning. But it's okay. 
We've misunderstood, we've underestimated, we've let the enemy sell us. He's stolen our rights and responsibilities and the high privilege of being God's ambassadors in the earth. That's who we are. Oh, I, I, I got I to I close right here in, in just a minute. Um, but I'm, I want to draw some of this together for us. So we're going to continue talking about the kingdom and looking at the kingdom. In Matthew 13, I don't know how many, but Jesus told a series of parables and he said, the kingdom is like, the kingdom is like, the kingdom is like. Everybody hear me. There's some people go, kingdom, being a Christian, the only reason I'm going to do that is because I just want to get to heaven. You, you, you need to read the Bible. The Bible, Jesus said, it's the shortest parable, it's one verse. In Matthew chapter 13, he said, the kingdom of heaven is, is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Uh, notice a couple things. He finds that the man who owns the field isn't even aware what's on or in his field. And the man who found the kingdom, the treasure, goes and says, with joy, he gives all that he has away so that, or he sells it so that he can go back and purchase the kingdom. That is, that's the bill of goods I'm trying to sell us. We're not building a crowd or a denomination or a church. Chuck Ramsey at 55 years old is not trying to create a presence or a following. We are in a day where celebrity is done. We are in a day where humility and faith and authenticity is the only thing that's going to move the chains down the field for the church in the kingdom. I've told you this before, and I mean it. I am not impressed with me. Don't you be if you are. I know most of you are not tempted to be, but don't be. Because that's what happens in churches. The crowd grows and the pastor's ego grows. I've been through too much in my life. My 40s were hell on earth. And some of you in this room know what I've been through. I'm prepared to appreciate the treasure of what Father God is doing. And I promise you on my life, I am not about to touch his glory. But here's what I am about. The kingdom of darkness is invading our nation, our culture, and the church. And we don't have basic elementary truth to stand up and fight for the kingdom. But in this place, may we get the knowledge so that we can live. My prayer is that this pandemic of 2020 will ruin you for surface religion, that it will ruin you for entertainment, churchy, Sunday morning, happy-go-lucky, middle-of-the-right, conservative. <laughs> that it will ruin us, that we will say, I've got to have the kingdom. That when you walk into a room, I can do it. I can walk into a room and I can hear the worship leader. And my spirit tells me he likes hearing himself sing. That pastor enjoys filling that place up three times a week. He enjoys that more than seeing the kingdom of God advanced. I would swear if I could, because I know how some of your vernacular, but I'm not going to. I promise you. I am only about one thing from this point forward, and it is about building the kingdom. Therefore, I'm going to teach you, and we're going to conquer the, the plan of the enemy. We are going to drive back the forces of darkness. You, I told you this too, or last Sunday. We're getting ready to see in the coming days things that we hoped our eyes would never see, and we're going to see things that we've only dreamt we would see. And seeing the bad stuff is going to be worth it when we see the good stuff. Because the bad stuff's always been there. You just haven't seen it. 
and now you're singing and it's driving us to an intimate place of worship to the one who can solve it, who is sovereign and can solve it all. Is anybody, is, is anybody in your belly, is your faith just rising up? Come on. Hallelujah. Now, closing, I promise, and we're taking communion. If the musicians will come on out and prepare, and I want, I want us to just prepare our hearts for communion. Now, everybody look and listen. We're getting ready to start our Daniel fast on Wednesday, and I just want to say a couple things. Please consider giving something up in this season. I am a believer in the power of prayer and fasting. Um, if you have your Bibles, go with me to Mark chapter 9. We're going to read just a verse or two in that passage. And um, while, while I talk to you about fasting, fasting is not a work of the flesh where you try to impress God or score points with him. Why do we fast? Well, Daniel did it in the Old Testament at a time that his, that Babylonian culture needed the kingdom of God to explode and drive back and deliver the people of God. I, I, it's a whole sermon. Daniel fasted. He resolved not to defile himself with the king's meat or the king's drink. It's a lot of great truth there. If you, if you could just resolve to not defile yourself with the things of this world, you'd be amazed. You'd be amazed at the work of God in your life. Jesus fasted, and we talked about that fast. Now, everybody look here. Fasting, I, there's a couple things I want you to note that I have learned. Food is overrated. Don't, don't laugh, say amen or oh me. It's, it's, it's necessary, but it's, food never delivers what you want. And normally when you get delivered, you're like, oh, I'm too delivered. Because food, here's the second thing. Food is overrated. Second thing is, most Christians' relationship with food is parallel to their relationship to the things of the Spirit. Did somebody say, say that again? I can't. It was from the Lord. I don't know how I said it. Most Christians' relationship with food is parallel to their relationship with the things in the Spirit. And that is more true than any of us want to admit. And I don't... I know you're sitting there. Listen, here's another thing. Most people get defensive about their family heritage. Don't tell me I've got generational bondage. Okay, I won't. We all do. Me, you, Candace, everybody. We all do. But most people, it's like, I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want him to tell me. We get defensive about that. The other thing we get defensive is our relationship to food. We've had people leave the church over things I've said about food that are entirely scriptural. And I love them, but they need to go on and leave because I'm not going to compromise. Some of the things that we put in our body, it's a, it, we should be shocked that we're still here in somewhat decent health. Don't tell me, yeah, I know. You, it's easy for you to say, little 175-pound, little skinny runt from Virginia. No, I could be 205, 210, easily. I like to eat, but I've learned if I like food too much, it will mess, it'll mess me up here, 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 and here. It does. That's why I fast pretty hard, fairly regularly, because I break that love for food. Now, I'm not a legalist. You know, we eat, if you've been, some of y'all been in our cupboard, we, we love key lime cookies from Trader Joe's, and the last week of the season that they sell them, we bought 28 boxes. <laughs> we went to three different Trader Joe's, and we got them all. We went to Norcross, and if, I, if we can't find them next year, it's because y'all started taking my word for it, you started buying them. We've got, Mark and Shine gave us those Thinsters, Thinsters. How's that for a name for a dessert? Dark chocolate. Dark chocolate is not like milk chocolate. Dark chocolate comes from God. It's healthy chocolate. 
Thins dark chocolate and coconut. They're back in at Costco. 32 bags we bought. We just come prepared for a rainy day. We, Jesus says it rains on the unjust, and when it rains, we're going to be prepared. We're going to have our, I'm not a legalist, but you hear what I'm saying. And some of you go, all right, I'm going to do the Daniel fast. And between now and Wednesday, you're going to work eight hours a day trying to find the best recipes for the Daniel fast so that you can fast and not even feel it. I just want to encourage you. It's between you and the Lord. We don't have a sign up. I, somebody asked me, how many people did it last year? We don't know. It's between you and the Lord. If, you, if we tell each other all about it, then that's our reward. People go, ooh, wow, you fast. You're fasting. That's your reward. That's what Jesus said. So it's between you and the Lord. And I want to encourage you. And your children, they can make it. I mean, you know, I, I could give you story after story after story. 2020, the fruit of what God's done in this church was because we put our hearts to seeking him last January and February, and he has blown our minds. I want to encourage you. I'm not going to read this story, but the story is about a father who had a son who was demon-possessed, and he came to the disciples, and he said, Please pray for him. They prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him and nothing happened. The father, being a good father and persistent, took his son to Jesus. And Jesus said, he said to Jesus, if you can, would you help my son? And Jesus says this. Jesus can get sideways. He goes, if I can, if you have faith, it's possible. I can that's what he said. And then as he walked, as Jesus turned to him, the Bible said, the demons in that man, and he said, how long has he been this way? And the father said, since he was born. This is a family burden. And as Jesus turned, the demons knew who was about to pray. And they convulsed and they literally took the, the young man and threw him to the ground. And Jesus prayed and he was delivered and restored to his right mind. And the father and son left and the disciples couldn't wait to get to Jesus to ask him, how did you do that? And Mark 9, 23 is one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament. And Jesus says this, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Anybody have a this kind of situation? Anybody know we live in a this kind of, what are you talking about, Pastor Chuck? How many of you know the issues we're facing as a nation, as a culture, they're significant. And, and the Lord would say to us, this kind can come out by prayer and fasting. How many of y'all believe that? I just, in the name of Jesus, come on, let's stand right now. Lord, we yield ourselves to you, and we are, we are expectant. We are anticipating beautiful things, Lord, because you are calling us. Your kingdom is at hand. Your word is enlightening our minds and giving us knowledge. We praise you for it, Lord. I pray for this body of believers that we might become an army of warriors, soldiers. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name. If you will, take your communion elements from the bottom of the cup. If you'll go ahead and pull out the wafer. We do this the first Sunday of every month, almost every month. We seldom ever miss it. And... Um, here this first Sunday, the first month of the year, we come to the Lord's table reminded of the new covenant that his body is broken so that ours can be made whole. His blood was shed so that our sins can be forgiven. And Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is, the, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat.
Father, we thank you for your healing virtue. And we just right now, in the authority that you have given us, we ask that you would heal this church body, every member of the family, those who are watching online right now, who are streaming right where they are, Lord, may you comfort them. Those who are recovering from COVID and other sicknesses, dealing with nagging injuries, broken hearts, empty checkbooks, in the name of Jesus, we pronounce and we pray for your kingdom to flow into those situations and for you to bring healing that you purchased for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. After the meal, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the symbol of the new covenant. This is my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. When you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, let's drink and worship and be made whole. The scripture says, though your sins be as scarlet, he will make them as white as the driven snow. In Jesus' name. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? And all the world can come to Him to have their sins removed. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? Come on, isn't it beautiful? Isn't the name of Jesus beautiful? Isn't the name of Jesus beautiful? He's the Son of God. He's one of us, the lover of our soul. Isn't the name of Jesus? Before we leave, let's sing this chorus a couple times. Come on, lift it up. Turn off Isn't the name powerful? Isn't the name of Jesus powerful? Yes, it is. Isn't the name of Believe Jesus it. powerful? We speak your name in this place, Lord, over every situation. Chains every are broken when Come it's on. spoken. Every knee must bow. Isn't the name of Jesus powerful? Turn on King, you will reign forever. And we will sing the glory of your name. Be lifted high for all the world to see. Your name is all we need. Your name is all. Eternal King. Isn't the name? Isn't the name of Jesus powerful? Isn't the name of Jesus powerful? Come on now, sing and declare it. Chains are broken when it's spoken. Chains are broken when it's spoken. Every knee must bow. Isn't the name of Jesus powerful?
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word teaches us that we are sealed by your spirit. I pray that the seed of your word this morning will fall in good soil and that the cares of this life, the weeds, the stony, rocky ground will not eliminate the growth of your word, that it will take this morning and that it will grow in us and produce a crop. You said the possibilities are 30 times what was sold or what was sown, 40, 60, even 100 times. May you, by your word, sow in us an awakening that would spread into our nation and that we might reign in life and that our marriages, we might reign in the name of Jesus. That our families, we might reign raising children who are difference makers, world changers. And that in this church, you would reign as the sovereign king of the universe, the head of the church, as we are your bride. And we thank you that you have delivered us. In Jesus' name we pray. If you love the Lord this morning and you feel full, you feel full of faith, come on, somebody, say amen. Yes, Lord. May he bless you, keep you, make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. May he this week lift up his countenance, see you right in the eye, and give you peace. Would you just say, I receive it. Amen. Tell somebody you look better now than you did at 930 this morning. Have a great afternoon. We love you. We'll see you Wednesday.